All right, let's jump in. Uh, if you don't mind, there are a couple things I want to say. Then I'm going to ask you to stand and read the word. Um, first of all, you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, that one of the problems our church has always faced is that we're always, for some reason, I don't know why, but this is not a giveaway shoe, okay? Um, for some reason why, our foot, as a church, as a church, our foot has always been bigger than the shoe. For some reason. Uh, when, when we were in the hotel, um, we had to go to two, three, four, five, six services. Uh, when we came over here, we had to go to two, three, four, five, six services. Then we went to campuses. Then we had to add services and so on and so forth. But for some reason, we could never get ahead of it, which is why all of y'all struggled to come in here today. And so what we're asking God for, um, I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't want to do this. Um, I thought, God, listen, whoever is going to take over next, they can do it and go from there. And, um, and, he, and, and, and he simply reminded me, that this was never about me, and that we, my job is to make it easier for the next generation. And so, and so one of the things we're, we're looking to do is to, is, to, is to figure out what we're going to do in the future, buy a pretty large piece of land, and then go bigger than we ever thought we would ever need, and then see what God would do. All right, don't ask me how. Don't, I don't know. So I don't have any answers for you. But I'm just telling you, one of the things we have to do if we're going to leave it better than we receive it is we've got to set up the next generation so that it's easier for them and we're not giving them any debt to carry and we're going to do the whole thing. Uh, and, and, and I think it's my job to lead them there and then they can do whatever they want after that. But we've got to give them the best opportunity for success. So with that in mind, that's one of the things as we look to the future we're trying to solve. Another thing we're trying to solve that many of you don't know yet before I read the word today is a couple of things that are happening in our community that you don't, and in our country and in our world that sometimes you don't really get and I'm going to try and lay it out for you today. There's a friendship pandemic that's taking place in our culture. Over the last three years, the average American has gone from having 3.2 friends to having 1.8 friends. And I know we laugh, but, but in a culture that we're supposed to be more connected, we're actually getting more disconnected. It gets worse. It gets worse. 40% uh, of Americans um, have one or no confident. In other words, you're carrying the pain all on your own. And over time, what ultimately happens, listen to this now, is you have three types of community that's being formed. First of all, you've got the anti-community. That is, people who territorialize their ideology. In other words, you've got some people that says, this is who I am, and I don't care what none of you say, this is who I am, and I'm going to block all of you. And so instead of having authentic community, you actually have now anti-community. The second group is the group that says studio community, which means you got a lot of friends on social media and you think them people are your real friends. You really are living in a, in a, in a, in a delusional world thinking that these people will come to your rescue. You really think they'll come and they'll be with you and walk with you and cry with you and fight for you and pray for you. And you really believe that. And, and, and most people think that what's, what we're going to look back at in the future is about this whole political thing. That is not what history will say. What history will say is when we were most connected, we were most alone. 
And the church should have something to say about that. Because what God's calling us all to, which is the name of our church, is authentic community, which, that which is biblical, where we're praying for each other, where we're crying with each other, where we're fighting for each other, where we're doing everything we can to make sure we're all bringing all of life under the lordship of Jesus the Christ. If we do nothing then you will fall prey to it and the culture will fall prey to it and you will take sides and you will go on one side. I'm so glad Jesus didn't take sides and whether I was Democrat or Republican, he still loved me and he still died for me and he did not take sides. He's asked us to now show to the world that what they really long for is biblical community, not, not anti-tribal community, not, not pseudo-community through the digital world, but for authentic community. That's what the people on your job long for, and we're gonna be in pursuit of it as a family. And so today, I wanna pause from our soul care series, and I just wanna kinda lay out a little bit what's in the booklet that you have already. It's kinda where we're going, but I wanna lay out just the heart behind where we're going as a church. So if you don't mind, will you stand with me, and let's read Mark chapter eight, Mark chapter 8, and let's see how far we get through it today. Look at your neighbor and say, um, thanks for coming to church, and uh, please read the word with me on today, all right? Here we go. Let's read the word of God. Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Now, when you see some words in English, you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, let's just read the Bible. But you cannot bring your 21st century worldview into a first century Bible. You cannot. So when you see spit... You're going to think, oh, that's gross. That's because you are so sedity in the 21st century. You think that what it meant to you today is what it meant to them. It does not. When you see the word Bethsaida, when you see this word, you're just going to read it. Oh, yeah, that's a place. No, no, no. You need to know that that's a place that was cursed because of their unbelief. So when somebody's reading this, they're like, why is Jesus there? And you should gasp when you hear this. And when you read, brought a blind man, you got to read, don't read your 21st century. Back then, today, uh, back then they treated them horribly because they thought they were unclean. And so nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. And so when you hear blind man and Jesus touching a blind man, you should say to yourself, <gasps> because that's how the first century reader would read this text. They're not just reading it as if everything is normal, there's some things that are popping out. So when you see Bethsaida, you should go, you got it. When you see blind man, you should go, good. And when you see, when you see uh, he, uh, to touch him, you should go, that's correct, because none of that is normal. All of this is what Jesus is doing. So let's read it together now. Here we go, everybody together. And they came to, good, and they to Jesus and implored him to, you got it, next verse, here we go, you great Bible readers, great Bible scholars so far, here we go, taking the, you, 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 he was unclean, the next, the next chapter it says, um, there's a blind man and they said, who sinned that he was blind? And, and Jesus is going to blow their minds with what he's saying. But you can't just read this as if this is normal, because it's not. He continues. He said, he... And after... Uh, now, hold on. This is where you would say, 21st century, to which they would say, no, 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 that's normal. 
See it? See why you have to know the historical context of a passage before you start declaring and claiming and then, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Just know the context before you start saying, I'm claiming this! No, 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 no. Here we go. Um, after on his eyes and laying, he asked him, do you now, now, when you read this, you'll be like, okay, 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 Jesus, what's up? Are you telling me that you lost some of your power? Jesus, you can speak and the man be healed. Why do you have to do a two-part miracle? What's significant about a two-part miracle? What the heck are you doing, Jesus? Just heal the man. Or are you, is that, did kryptonite get you? What, what, what's going on? You, can you not heal the man? Again, you have to understand the culture. Because what did Jesus do? This is so important to understand the text. What Jesus was doing was he was starting with where the man was. In the culture of the day, they would use saliva. He did it in the chapter before to heal somebody with their ears. And now he's touching somebody with saliva with his eyes. Why? Because back then they thought superstitiously that if you do that, it will provide healing for the eye. So all of a sudden now, listen to the incredible um, wisdom of your God. He starts with where the man is. And he says, I'm going to use what you think is what creates healing. By the way, he does it to us too. Some of y'all go over there talking about, hey, Mr. Palm Reader, tell me the future. He just start with you. I'm going to let you go to a palm reader, and while you're leaving the palm reader, I'm going to speak to you, and then I'm going to start your healing, but it ain't from the palm reader. It's because of the power of God in you. Yeah. So with his, all his wisdom, the reason it's a two-part miracle is because he says, I'm going to start with where you are, show you the limitations of what man can do, then I'm going to touch you again so you don't ever miss who got the power to heal you? Oh, I'm preaching already today. I'm preaching already today. So he, after spitting on his eyes, here we go, and laying his hands on him, read it with me, he asked him, next verse, next verse, next verse, watch the text. And he looked and he said, for I see them like, what that means is he wasn't blind from birth. Because he knows what trees are. So that means this happened over time. Oh, I wish you would read your Bible like me. I wish you would. So this, the, the man in the next chapter was blind from birth. This one, it happened over time. So now he says, I can see some, but they look like trees. I know what I'm, I'm bad used to, but they look like trees. In other words, he, 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 he now has blurred vision. And for many of us, ooh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Blurred vision is enough. So many Christians walk around today, really can't see, but you enjoy blurred vision like it's everything. And God said, I didn't come to give you blurred vision. I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Oh, I'm preaching already. Lord have mercy. Next verse, verse number 25. Here's what he says. He says, then again, he laid his... No, again, he laid his hands. Let's start again. Then again, he... Good. On his eyes and looked and was restored, my God, and began to see everything. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you used to be blind. And your God held you by the hand, brought you to himself, took the scales off, and now you can see. That's the good news of the gospel. You used to be blind. Say with me, I used to be blind. But God. One more time, that sounds so good. I used to be blind. But God. He restored you, and all of a sudden you can see again. Next verse. We're done here. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Why would you do that, God? Why would you do that? You send him to a village. He's from a village. He said, go home, but don't go to the village. Because when you're coming out of the world, you've been hanging with the wrong people. So he says, don't go to them. I want you to go to your house. And I want you to tell them what I did for you in your house. We got too many people walking around talking about, I want to be a self, a, 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 a life coach, a life coach. And I'm going to help everybody. Go help your own house first. Before you go help anybody else. Talk about God's call me to counseling. By the way, the people who counsel are the people who are most jacked up. But anyways, God sent you to counseling, and, it's, and you're, talking about, you're talking about, well, let me go help the world. Can you go help your own house first? Look at your neighbor and say, help your own house, and then sit down. Look at the other one, help your own house, then sit down, sit down, sit down. Here we go. I got to go, y'all. I got to go. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, watch what happens in this text. Verse 22. Watch what happens in the text. It's clear. He said, and say this word with me. That's not everybody. And, 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 a, huh. And they who could see brought a blind man who could not see. Huh. One community. And they who had eyes to see brought a blind man that could not see. He does something else. Watch the text. And he says, and implored him. So they, they brought a blind man, and then they begged God. So they brought him, then they begged him, and then they watched. Let me say it again. They who could see brought one who could not see, brought him to God, then prayed and begged God, would you restore him? Would you heal him? Will you help him? Will you, will, you, will you create the right environment for him? And then they sat back and watched. Can I tell you who they are in the story? Anybody who has ever not seen and now see. That's the day. Which makes it me and you. So what should you do over the next 15 years? You should be looking for blind people. And by the way, I hope you know by now, I ain't talking about physically blind, but spirit, I got to tell you, because some of you be like, okay. But we're looking for, we're, we're looking for, listen, listen, we're looking for people who don't know the truth. And we're saying to them, I got a man that you need to know. Then, 
You're going to beg God, will you transform their marriage? Will you transform the way they think about singlehood? Will you transform the way they view about money? Will you transform the way they do about, the way they think about substances that will help them? Will you transform them, God? And I'm praying and I'm pleading to God. And then I watch what God does after that. Now, here's my question. When was the last time you brought somebody to God? Because the best way to show gratitude is by returning the favor for somebody else. So is it that we're not grateful, that's why we don't bring people? Is it that we're not grateful, that's why we're not begging God to transform people's lives? Is that why? And so, let's jump in now to the text. Go to this booklet, and let me show you the predicament of the church. Uh, go to page number three in the booklet. If you have it, if you don't have one, uh, ushers, do we have any more? Just raise your hand. If you don't have one, everybody needs to get one. It's what you need to pray for. We've got a couple up here. Can you bring some for me, please, and give it to some of the men and women around us? I want you to go to page number three. And let me show you the problem with the church today and where we have to go into the future. See, ladies and gentlemen, the problem is that we have a lower room church and an upper room church. John 17 is the upper room church, but we have a lower room church. The problem is in the lower room church, people only think about themselves. That's all we think about is me, myself, and I. Me, myself, my kids, and I. Here we go. So watch it. Here's what it looks like. Here's what the church looks like. Lower room church. It says, um, pro, this is the provision. People, here we go. So it's the church or friends Robert and Chelsea attend. Only reason you came to church is because your friends came. Only reason you came to church is because, oh yeah, my friends go. I want to be comfortable with my friends, so let me go where my friends go. And so let's come. It's all about you. Let's look it up again. Here we go. Second one, programs. Cameron and Kyla uh, really love going to wonderful kids. Oh, my gosh. Let's, let's, um, let's make it um, um, the whole world. Ka uh, Cameron and Kyla and Shanene and um, uh, Shaniqua really love going to wonderful kids. So it's all four. So now the only reason you're coming to church is not for you. You're coming to church because of your kids. It's all about you. It's all, everything you do, you come to church and you want God to help you, bless you, and it's all about you. That's lower room church. The third one is, oh, Pastor Conway, I like him. Sister Jada, I like her. And they're such good teachers and they're funny. <laughs> you think this is entertainment? That's what you think this is? Here we go. Here's another one. The new building is close to where we live. So since it's close and I only do things that's convenient to me, I only do things that matter to me because it's convenient and comfortable, then that's why I'm coming to church. And so what you've done is you've made church all about you. And this is fine if you're new to the faith. But if you've been here in the church for 10, 15 years and you're still thinking the same way, something is wrong. If it's all about you, hey man, can you move to a different service so that we can facilitate some people who ain't never been here before? Nah, -uh, this is the only time I'm coming. I don't care about y'all. Really? Really? And you're talking about you've been here for 15 years? Really? You be, oh yeah, I've been in church all my life, 45. I've been in church all my life and still selfish. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Let me, let, me, let me see if I can help you out. This is, very, this is very significant. Whenever Christmas time comes, what you try to do is you try to make sure you have a gift for your kids. And what you do when you're a kid is you attempt on the 24th 
to see what's in there. Before, because you're all excited about the gift that is downstairs under the Christmas tree for you. And you get really excited about it. And all you do in life is say, ooh, I can't wait for the gift. I can't wait to see mommy and daddy gets me. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. But that's lower room church. When you grow up and you become an adult, you know what you do? You buy the gift now. So your joy is not in getting up early to see what's under the tree. If you're still excited about seeing what's under the tree, you a kid. You ain't grown. Because mom and dads, what you get excited about is you get up and you watch them kids right, I don't know how you do it for us, right after breakfast, and you start seeing them tearing up the Christmas gift, the, the gift wrapping, to see what's in there. Let me tell you what church should be. When you're young, your first couple, three, four years of church, never been, just met Jesus, you should be like, oh my God, this is so good. Oh my God. And you get all excited. But the older you get, you know the word for yourself. You don't need somebody else to feed you. You can feed yourself. No, listen to me. So now what you get excited about is I got to go see other blind people and bring them to God so that now because they're sitting beside me, I get to see them lift their hands for the first time. I get to see tears running down their eyes for the first time. I get to see them open their own Bible for the first time. I get to see them say, God, would you please help me for the first time? That's what mature believers be. You, mature believers don't just know every word and every verse in the Bible, they know how to apply it. And they know how to bring people to God. Pray hard that he changes them and then watch him work. What we have grown up, listen to me please, in the United States of America is a bunch of people that have consumerism at the heart of everything they do. And it should always be about you. Do you think we do these lights for mature people? Do you think we do that big old expensive screen for mature people? We don't. Christians who love God can worship in the dark. They don't need light to worship him. They don't need fancy TVs to worship him. They can worship him in the dark. We ain't doing it for you. You're more than five, six years. We, we, we're doing it for the people who's under five, who used to go to the Beyonce, well, some of them still go, to the, to the, to the Nene concert, and uh, on the other side, Taylor Swift concert, and, and, and Bruno Mars concert, and, and, and Pink concert, well, Anyways, uh, concert, and, and that's what you go to. And so when we, the only reason we do all this, all this stuff right here is so that we don't look so ancient like we're there from 50 years ago. But don't you ever get it twisted that mature believers need all this stuff. They don't. Not, not one of them do. Not one. So when you do it, when you see us doing stuff, and you say, well, well don't take all that. Why are they doing all that? I'm doing it for your for your co-workers. I'm doing it for the people who work for you. I'm doing it for your boss and the CEO of your company so that when they come, they can say to themselves, huh, something's a little different about this one. Okay, let me at least consider who they're talking about today. That's why we're doing it. Do not ever get it twisted about this church that we into entertaining people. If you do, you have no idea what our heart is. It is literally, I'm going to say this, somebody's going to get offended, but I don't care. It is simply a game to get them to figure out, should I consider Jesus? And once they do, and we set up dates with them with Jesus, I promise you, they're going to fall in love with the Jesus I know. 
So ladies and gentlemen, we got to get people from downstairs to upstairs. My first point in the sermon is this. Your vision, no, your village always affects your vision. The people you hang out with always affect how you see. If all you do is hang out with selfish people down here, then it's going to affect how you see. If, all, if the thing you love is, is, is going all over the world, uh, uh, prancing around, ain't nothing wrong with that. But if that brings you more joy than serving your God, there's something wrong with you. And all I'm trying to suggest to you is this. As a church in the future, we're just asking God to do something he's never done before. But to raise up some upper room believers so that we can go down to the lower room and bring people out. You know what? You know the problem with the lower room? The lower room has a back door. And so that's why when we don't meet your needs, you go through the back door. That's why when we preach something that you don't like, you go through the back door. It's in the Bible, but you don't like it, and you want me to leave it out, so now you want to walk through the back door because you think church is all about you, and you think every sermon you hear, you should hear something like, it's going to be big. <laughs> well, my Bible says sometimes it gets small. Ain't nothing big about it. And sometimes you want to hear, it's going to make you joyful and happy. And my Bible said, no, sometimes you're going to mourn and cry. So every sermon shouldn't be about what you're going to get. Sometimes it should be about what God's going to cut out of you. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody now. Sometimes it should be about, hey, give us a mirror, pastor. Lord, have mercy. We got to change some stuff. Because it's not always about you. He didn't save you to make all of life about you. It actually isn't about you. It's about God and you giving him glory with your life. So here's what we're asking God for. Quickly, here we go. Here's what we're asking God for. We're asking God simply, go to the, go to the page number four. Page number four. Here's what we're asking God for. Page number four says we're asking God to invite people to the unexpected joy of desperate dependence on Jesus. That's all we're asking for. God, will you, will you make me, will you make you, a group of people, a body of believers that are inviting people to the unexpected joy. Because it's not obvious. Sometimes you have to go through pain to see the joy. Because his ways are not like yours. And you've got to feel. And if we don't preach that, then people are going to be disappointed because we preach a gospel that says you get everything you want. That is a lie. It ain't in the Bible. You, you, the, the gospel we preach is that it's all about Jesus and it's never about me. So there's unexpected joy because you're going to go through pain. And when you go through that pain, the only way to get through it is if you have a desperate dependency on Jesus. So what are we asking him for? We're asking him for 500 small group leaders. 500 of them who will live in the upper room and bring people from the lower room to the upper room. That's what he did in John 17 when he says, guys, I'm going to leave. And when I leave, I'm going to die and then leave. And you get to run the world. And you get to infiltrate the world. And guess what they did? They turned the world upside down. Where's the group of believers that are thinking like that today? Last night, in the first three quarters, uh, no, the first three quarters and half, no, and, and, and 90% of the fourth quarter, Deion Sanders, y'all were asleep. Deion Sanders, his team. The problem is I was up. Anyways, um, Deion Sanders, his team. Uh, everybody was jumping off the bandwagon, see? I tell fake team, they ain't good, all that. But then they huddled up. On the two minutes left, they huddled up and they said, hey, look at here. We got 98 yards to go and we got eight points to get. And they said, here we go. Let's go. 
And so they huddled up and they had a huddle. And from that huddle, they came out of the huddle. Pass, pass, run, pass, pass, end zone. Okay, two points, let's go. Next play, boom, into the end zone. And the game is tied right as the clock runs out. Here is what I want to know. When you meet every single week and every single Sunday, what difference is it making in your company? And if it's not making a difference, then keep your meetings because you're faking the funk. What's up with you? Praise God. Glory to God. And then you go live buck wild with your co-workers. Why is it that, 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 that Wells Fargo and, and Bank of America and J.P. Chase Morgan and, and the Toyota Company and Independent and all these people working in all these places and yet still folks still living buck wild crazy? That's because you come to church for yourself. And you don't come to church to be inspired so you can go make a difference in the world. The huddle must make a difference. And it makes a difference on the playing field. And the, the, the devil is simply trying to neutralize Christians. I'll say this and then I'm done. I'll say this and then I'm done. Go to page number two. No, page one. Go to page one. The three kind of Christians and then I'm done with you. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out the rest later. The three kind of Christians. This, don't you ever forget this. For real. They're cultural Christians. We lost these groups, these people, during the pandemic and during the elections with Trump versus Biden. We lost them. Because they only use the church for their own better good men, for their own, for their own families, for their own businesses, for their own politics. And they use it. And after that was done, and because of the pandemic, they'd be like, I'm done with church, see you later. There's a coming group that we're going to lose. I'm telling you, this is, this is predictive based on where we're heading as a culture. There's a coming group, the casual Christian. Go to it. Here's all the casual Christians are. This is the group now that they just come to church. They used to be committed, but they're kind of walking away a little bit, and they're beginning to fade away. And this culture is going to make you make a decision to walk away from God. I promise you, you will see it before your very eyes, which is why. We're begging God for the committed Christians to go upstairs, to take to the upper room. And those are the ones that will carry the church financially and spiritually. And they're the reason the church is doing what it's doing today. Because they're committed. Here's what they're committed to. We will bring them, pray for them, watch God work. My question for you is, will you bring them? Will you beg God on their behalf? And then will you watch God work? Will you strategize for your whole organization, whether it's online or whether it's physically in person? And will you say, God, I'm praying for every last one of these people every single day, and I'm asking you to do great work for your glory and for your good. You see, there are too many Christians today that all we want is, is, is a coffee shop experience. Let me get my latte. Hey. Let me sit by myself and muse over how good God has been to me and how good I have it. And it's all about you. And God says, that's not what I want. What I want is Christians around a campfire where I, the Holy Spirit, am the fire. And the closer you get to me, the warmer you get. But you're not having that warmness just for you. You share stories, you pray with each other, you fight for each other, and then you leave that campfire, go make a difference, and then come right back again to get warmed up, refreshed by the spirit of the living God, to then go do it all over again. One community of the church, that's what he's calling us to do. 
And I'm here today to tell you, if all you do is come to church and, and then leave uh, right before it's done because you just want to get out early, you've made Christianity about you. The most important part of the service is at the end when people are making spiritual decisions. Be careful you're not used by the enemy because of your convenient Christianity for the glory of God. Come on, somebody. Give God a round of applause.